Hey y'all, it's your boy Tex. I'm here to welcome you to Gintama Discussion Part 2. Enjoy! Um, so let's dive into, um, themes, gentlemen. Um, and I'll just let, uh, you know, Base or Silver take it away. Um, I think probably it makes sense for Base to kind of talk about it a little bit. And then, you know, I can make a connection and then Silver can give us the historical context to tie the bow up. Right. So Hell yeah. one of the major things you can probably notice off the bat to anyone with like maybe a casual knowledge of like history, particularly when it comes to like Japan and their relations to other countries, is that there are very heavy allusions to the Amano, right? Um, Amanto. Alien. Amanto. Amanto. Alien invaders yeah. who in the middle of like a nice Japanese period of prosperity very rapidly forced their way in using much more we'll say casually advanced technology and forced the subjugation of the Japanese people to become sort of second-class citizens within their own home and the Amanto have casually integrated themselves to where they are the dominant culture um, going on and while there is still a Japanese subculture and that underground element has various pockets of resistance of of uh, what do you call it when you conform to like the ruling class when you abide them it, it all actually has some interesting parallels to like real life japanese history i think that is like a good thematic overview of like the entire series yep um the first thing i thought of um and this is not where maybe the main thing silver's gonna talk about the first thing i thought of was matthew perry um coming in with the american u.s navy and literally just like forcing japan to have trade relations with the u.s um another thing you can think about too is like post-world war ii when america basically came in and occupied japan for years and became like a dominant um cultural force um, changing the way they view the emperor, changing a lot of other things that only maybe very recently has America withdrawn away from that domineering, almost pretty, actually not even almost, pretty objectively colonial-esque relationship yeah. with Japan up until recently. But I think more even deeper historical silver has even harder context yep, for that. And then before we kind of get into that, 
So was there an actual sword band, Silver? Then that's just a quick question. Okay, so there yes. was an actual sword band. Okay, cool. Um, so on the yeah, one hand, this, ta- wait, this wait, started wait. before. Let's, let's, oh, yeah, let's dive forward. into that in a little bit, because um, I wanted to make a connection to the present moment too. Um, there's also, you know, if you want to look at the sword band allegorically, so there is that that kind of, you know, uh, sword band that Silver is going to talk about. But then you can also see it, um, and, and this is just occurring in my mind, right? as a kind of uh, uh as there being some sort of parallelism between uh the sword ban um in the show and like the american like neo um you know imperial neo-colonial presence um and the way in which japan was you know Oh boy, I don't know why the word coming into my mind is cucked, but let's just roll it. <laughs> cucked. <laughs> you got okay. cucked, Japan. Okay. Sorry. But, you know, but, but Japan um, being, um, you know, basically like held, held yeah, hostage, held in, hostage their in their own country. Um, being. Yeah. Um, Chabo, can I jump in for a quick second? Quick, quick second. Let me wrap that up. Um, and then having, having it be the case that they literally can't have a military. Yeah, oh, yeah, they literally yeah. can't have a military, so they're muzzled in that way, mm-hmm. um, to, or they couldn't for a while. I don't know historically if this still holds true, but they couldn't have a military. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, if I'm remembering my dates and my facts right, historically, the so like the sword ban was like it started at some point and then it officially like uh, was finally like implemented at another certain point. All that happened. The Meiji Restoration. No, no, there was a sword ban before that. There was a sword ban like uh, before uh, Yasu. Uh, the second guy, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, he's the one that first started getting everything together to do a sword ban because he wanted to solidify power for himself and for his clan, and he didn't want the samurais to be able to like revolt against him. Because the whole issue within the warring states period is that everyone was warring. All these warlords had their own like secular like places of power, fighting for everyone else. Oda Nobunaga was the first one that like had like, more of like a national kind of army i guess they started conquering more like just basically think of alexander the great but for like japan he just started conquering everything and then the only thing that stopped him was him dying so uh hideyoshi took over uh because he's a really really good politician not so much like a warlord he let uh who do that who's the third uh, the person after him he starts solidifying his position and getting rid of the swords because like i said uh, he was worried that the he he wanted to take the teeth away from the samurai clan, uh, the samurai class of people, and all this happened well before they even started the isolationist part, and before they were uh, forced open by Americans are like I guess like claimed to be the ones that did it, but it was really the Portuguese and the British and other countries. And, and Can other you give places. us a general a historical? Um, I guess chronology, like when was this all taking place? All this was happening between the 16 and 1700s. The Meiji Restoration was uh, beginning of the 1800s to like 1830, 40, 50, something like that. It's been a repeated yeah. thing. Yeah. Like... yeah, it was like a centuries long affair, the whole thing. Wow. And there's characters That's in right. the show of Gintama that were like important like characters in the Meiji Restoration. Katsura was one mm-hmm. of them. Like, the actual names are references to real-life historical yeah, people. Yeah, they're just named a little bit different. There's this, actually this joke in one of the episodes later on where people in Japan were phoning in to, like, the studio or whatever, complaining that they were getting, like, as, like, I think there were students, they were getting uh, points off of tests because they were putting the names of the car- of the historical people as the names of the people in Gintama because, like, their names are slightly different. That's really funny. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, what was it? Okay, yeah. Yeah, if the original, 
Oh, I was going to say, if the original opening was happening back, as uh, Silver said, in like the 1600s, Matthew Perry's expedition happened, which is also called the Arrival of the Black Ships. No, no, no. The, oh. They hadn't uh, closed off to begin with yet. That was under oh, Liasu, yeah. and that was like more solidified under some of his predecessors after that. Because at that point, when Liasu took over, he was already kind of oldish. Right, right. I was just going to say for context, Matthew Perry's expedition happened in like 1853, so middle yeah. 19th century, and then World War II middle of the 20th century obviously (laughs) very cyclical things that have happened historically very very fascinating from that angle but then i also just kind of to to paint a frame to people too and this is um i mean i dabbled a little bit into um studying this um in the japanese context but it's really a story that um is that is like transcultural in a lot of ways or it's like you know multicultural it's something mm-hmm. that different different cultures different countries have experienced um and that's like um well, you know which we can get into and we can unpack the different <clears throat> like kind of um assumptions behind this idea but basically it's this like clash um between like modernity and tradition that's like typically how the frame is like presented right um which we can we can problematize the frame and i will in a second right but basically there's this idea that um certain parts of the world so the global south um japan is you know because of its you know isolationist history and you know um you know i mean basically like i mean this is also connected to like orientalism and the fact that like you know the asian countries have been kind of a foil for like western countries in terms of being like um exotic or you know primitive or whatever and we can get into like you know like the history of like where that comes from um it's it's like mythology um i won't you know dive into the weeds too too much but you know basically um there's this notion and it's applied to like you know um some asian countries like uh japan and it's certainly applied to latin american countries and basically different parts of the developing world especially those parts of the developing world that had contact with imperial powers that basically imperial powers came in um, and in the example of Japan I mean in in all these examples there was direct things that happened right but in the example of Japan we want to look at like the the 20th century right Um, you had the the US come in and um, you know basically impose uh, a set of conditions um, making it so that Japan would have to transform the very structure of its government and become a liberal democracy. Um, and you had similar, you've had similar sorts of things happen, um, you know, across the board in different places with, uh, you know, in Latin America, you know, you had like, uh, revolutions and then these countries actually had like bourgeois revolutions. So they had like revolutions to actually become liberal democracies that were kind of like organically, um, born as a means of like severing ties with like, you know, Spain and what have you but basically you know you, you've had like you know this this geopolitical power comes in and like imposes a way of life imposes um a culture imposes um a mode of production right and then when it does that um these these countries um for a number of reasons some of them being like that initial violent moment of imposition but also as a means of because of the fact that you know the world is globally interconnected and this has a lot to do with like you know um and it has been for centuries right and this has a lot to do with the structure of capitalism like these countries do kind of adopt um like aspects of like uh the the western western Western, you know norms right like western industrial norms Mm -hmm. western 
whatever cultural norms to a certain extent or we can talk about things like cultural imperialism too but basically um these countries like adopt that and you get like a kind of uh what's syncretism you get a syncretism right you get a syncretism and the way the frame is presented in the context of japan is as basically you know you have this clash between tradition and tradition is like you know the kind of like you know what we typically associate with japan like the the kind of like samurai culture shintoism right am i am i right in saying that um yeah. right the class hierarchical yeah, the structure hierarchical, yeah, like exactly the, the adherence to like your feudal lords and like yeah obviously there are debates yeah. um if i could hop in real quickly about like whether modernization is an overall good or a positive benefit towards um a more modern society because i mean you look at japan now it is a very high gdp very a uh, country that has a lot of industry now dominates a lot of especially like the electronics market we can all talk about that but there is that context that these forcible changes did arrive out of nebulous designs it's not always a case of like i mean this is a lot of things with most historical context of like benevolent um like they like to tell you benevolent industrialized countries going in and like uplifting a group of people and that's not true where yeah. i Yes, I think we can all. That's not true at all. I think at this point understand that it is never that black yeah. and white. Ever, there's there's that ever. myth, and then to a certain mm -hmm. extent, there's also the myth of like, you know, um, like the the, the totalizing. Noble, primitive, well, yeah, there's like, that, but then there's also like the myth of like the totalizing yeah. evil colonial power. Like that's not true. That's not true, true. either. Um, it's it's more right. complicated than that, and it's like frankly a disservice to like the agency of like you know Japanese people who like start like. I guess, or like people in different countries who like kind of took what was, took the material conditions at hand and did the best that they could with them um, and continue to do right. that, right? That's something that's important to recognize too, um, not just in the Japanese case, um, but to kind of, you know, problematize the frame a little bit because um, this is actually super interesting. Um, and I came across this while reading um, a book. I don't even remember what the book was, but I didn't even read most of the book, but this idea was interesting to me. Right. And it was about like modernity, um, this kind of debate between like modernity and tradition in, in the context of Japan. Right. Um, the thing is that that frame sort of defines modernity to be a certain thing. And like the way mm -hmm. it defines modernity is as the Western model. But like oh. it defines modernity as the Western mm. model and it defines tradition as anything as like the other to that. As any exactly, but what we might that. be witnessing in Japan and what we might witness in other countries, it's it's just as possible to think of that phenomena of those that set of phenomena, not as like kind of like the Japanese like or you know the whatever people in different countries like accommodating themselves, um, like basically being like conditioned by like this like like you know this this model that's been like pre-established and then trying to like like having this clash but like you know between like tradition and modernity but there's a different way of conceptualizing it which is actually no this is what japanese modernity looks like japanese modernity looks mm. precisely like um these elements of like you know so-called traditional japanese society blending with like you know certain aspects that you know have their roots in like you know the, the european continent or america or whatever and then japanese modernity is just that it's not like this debate between like modernity and tradition is in some ways mm -hmm. a like false binary um uh, okay. right you're basically okay. saying that it's not that 
oh, Japan was X, and then you inserted, let's say, Western Y, and now you have Japan Z. It was a blending and a unique evolution that the Japanese people had their own agency themselves to create their own version of like progress. Is yeah, that yeah, basically, yeah. That it's not saying that like, oh, it's like this, it used to be like this, and those are the only two options. It's like a more complex model. Exactly. Of, like, and that and, and that does away with this like longing for a nostalgic past that really never really that really never existed in the first place. Right. Right. And while it is yeah. healthy at times to understand that like there were problematic aspects in the past in the developing of countries like any country you can probably think of has like their history intertwined with some level of dominance by a certain subset or a social class of which that does not negate the gains made um for those individual subcultures to become sort of the more progressive versions of what they have become now um it's just that you do have to acknowledge like the roots of where a lot of these things come yeah, from yeah and then japan like you know gintama doesn't really go into this but like japan ain't got clean hands neither you know what i'm saying like japan was kind of like of course a massive you know colonial force like invading like yeah Co bro like korea, korea let's talk and, like yeah oh like, yeah China. Um, well, they tried. They yeah. tried to. Uh, they tried Korea. Then they were like, "Oh, we're gonna go and conquer China," <laughs> after failing to conquer Korea. Exactly. And, and that just didn't really work out. For them. Oh no, exactly. they they did a lot in mm -hmm. Korea though. They did a they lot did in a Korea. Lot that is right. And let's also uh, not forget the rise of like even in modern terms today, right wing nationalism is also a thing in Japan. Um, very ethnocentric. Um, it's a thing that is developing so like again with most of these topics whenever you talk about like history or like the progress of like a political structure it is not as simple as like this bad this good there's a lot of interpersonal interdynamic layers you have to like study and look out and while you can say yes overall this probably shouldn't have happened and we should look on it with a bit of shame but you can't always just negate like no. oh this society was good until the west came yeah you know and I mean? oftentimes these things are like you know yeah yeah scholarly like mythological debates um to a certain right. extent um mm -hmm. and so uh oh i think uh, i guess a final thing is whenever you're looking at these different type of um aspects and these cultural critiques and where they're being analyzed look at the people analyzing them yeah. too um you want to have a yeah. variety of yeah. sources both within the Ooh. culture itself and outside the culture exactly um yeah because here in the west i mean yeah. the joke i mean for my philosophy friends who have always told me is like when are we going to stop studying old white men who just tell me what they think all yeah the time? yeah um yeah exactly um and then it's also yeah. like i mean you know i i take you know i'm a, I'm a pretty like committed marxist so like i take the marxist mm -hmm. notion that like idealist frames like things that kind of like focus on like you know like culture as an idea and that's like like main lens like what you get out of that is like in large part a spiritual expression of like how like people like feel at a certain point in time when they look back at these kinds of things and so it's important to understand too like who are these people that are writing 
about um, the history of this country or the his- the histories of these countries and what are their agendas? Why are they writing? What mm-hmm. do they gain from writing about yeah, yeah. Um, the histories of these countries? And sometimes that applies to, I'm, I'm going to just say this, sometimes that does apply, like, oh, okay, no, a lot of the time it does apply to, like, bougie white men, <laughs> but, like, sometimes it also applies to, mm-hmm. like, bougie people of color. So I'm just going to, or, like, aspirational right, right. people of color. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, but, but that's the no, whole, like, ask digression point is to like mm-hmm. come back to it we see this like this the this uh theming, theming right this, this this thematic is like integrated literally into the composition into of the world of gintama which has this like blending of like you know traditional like you know so-called traditional japanese society and then you have um uh amanto hyper modernity um and mm-hmm. you see that kind of like the blending together and the different responses that people have to that. Some people uh, kind of take the, I guess you could say that the, the somewhat, like sometimes it can get it can get fascist very quickly, but sometimes you, you have people who take the approach of like, we need to go back, right? We need to like isolate ourselves. We need to like Black return. Katsuhara. Yeah, we need to sort of, yeah, but we need to return to this like mythic past that once existed when there is no returning to that past. Um, you have people or you have those who like placate the authority like exactly the samurai police who are most of the time policing their own people rather than like stopping any sort of exactly you know larger exactly. crimes of like like you i don't think you see them interacting with the space pirates at all they're mostly policing their own people you will you will we will we will but like in the context of like what this is also revealing sort of about their own internal like basically yeah, the, yeah, what yeah. themes gintama has like <laughs> this show is not this is why i said before i hesitated to just call it a gag show because there is clearly it's gintama thought that's the here. only way yeah, to describe exactly. it yeah. there's clearly there, there's thought that goes into it um, and in between the jokes you can have like clever right and, and then and then you have people who have um uh, what is it? What's the other response? It's kind of, uh, well, this is the world that we're living in now, and you know, we kind of have to figure out how to like cohabitate, right? Like we have to figure out how to live with the Amanto. Uh, but you know, there's a various ways in which that can show up. Whether it's like, you know, we need to placate authority, or whether it's like, now nah, we need like to be treated with respect um, and given a mm-hmm. modicum or you know something beyond like symbolic political power. Like we need. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole gamut of responses um, to the situation that people have. Um, and even, like, Katsura. Katsura kind of has that, like, rebellious, like, uh, streak to him. But he's not really... Like, you, you guys will meet, like, the person who is, like, the embodiment of the, like, burn it all to the ground revolutionary later. Because that's not really where Katsura's at. Um, but um, uh, I guess, you know, that, that probably wraps it up as far as, like, theming is concerned... And I think uh, our last section was, you know, kind of, you know, old Gintama fans and, you know, new Gintama fans kind of talking it out. <laughs> um, and in, you know, I guess uh, we've, we've covered I mean, most of that. We've kind of yeah. been doing this. Yeah, throughout the whole time. The there's whole a, Exactly. There's, there's a couple yeah. of, like, specific the whole things episode, to focus really. on, you know, before we, like, kind of, like, you know, say goodbye, you know, kiss the audience goodbye and leave. But anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> Uh, I guess what I would come back to, because I kind of held off on some of these, is that there are lines that happen, um, that specific characters say, or that happen in interactions uh, between two or more characters that reveal 
that have a lot of weight and meaning behind them and that's not immediately evident uh i would even venture to say that it's not evident at all for the first time viewer and there's a number of examples we could go to like basically y'all don't know this but it's gonna blow your mind when i tell you that kagura already laid out her entire character arc in one sentence (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of sentences yeah on. there's <laughs> um, um and which yeah. one don't don't say i know i know but she already said we'll figure yeah, it out she laid out her whole yeah. last character arc in one sentence um i think i think yeah the thing is like i'm not trying to be like a sleuth detective like otherwise i'm gonna drive myself crazy <laughs> looking at every single thing of the show because obviously <laughs> it is a show i guess in the most literal sense of like you you always met those people where it's just like just watch it. Everything gets explained. Like it's 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 all yeah. in the text, you know. Yeah. Um, unlike a lot of other shows where it's like, oh, there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of things you have to learn. There's a lot of things that you may have to come in with context about. But from what I've gathered, or like from, Evangelion, where mm-hmm. you need to read a dissertation afterwards to uh, understand what happened. My favorite kind of anime. Or, or turn off all the lights, put on <laughs> some music, and lay on the ground and actually ask yourself. It's like. Why am I here? Cry. What is Cry going on? Cry a little on? bit. <laughs> the tang. Um, the t- <laughs> tang. Yeah, tangification. Um, From what I've gathered is any question I have about the show, which I believe sometimes in our modern culture of like wanting to know, I, I, I sound like a freaking boomer. No, that's not what I meant. But there is a lot of times where when you're introducing a show to someone and they have questions to actually just relax and be like, watch the show. And the questions will be answered. Like I've I've seen it in some people that I've had discussions with where they watch something, uh, and they'll just be like, "Well, what is this? What is this? What is this?" And I'm like, "If you watch the show, those questions will be answered. Like just you just got to give it time. Like this is plotted on purpose. Um, like one of the bigger things I can think of a show recently, and I know it's not particularly anime, is something like The Witcher, for example, on Netflix, where a lot of people first couple episodes were like oh, oh i don't understand this and this and why does it seem like this is skipping and i'm just like it's 10 episodes finish the 10 episodes or 10 ish so and everything will make sense at the end and then if it doesn't then you can come and ask me but like I th- to be fair that didn't do a great job with the uh translating yeah. the books to that true but like when you understood like i don't want to get too much into witcher but when you understand it's a bunch of different short stories yeah. taking place over different periods of time and that they're just yeah 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 yep, yep. everything just comes together it makes sense but um again with gintama it's like be- it is a deep show and there's always these things about like oh like there's a lot of things happening and these gags seem to be funny but you just don't get it yet it's like if you're enjoying it, just watch the show, um, which is what I've gotten as like a new fan, you know. Yep. And then I'm actually very, very pleasantly surprised about uh, Bass's appreciation of the show after his <laughs> horrendous uh, appreciation for Konosuba. Yeah. I was worried there for a moment. Okay. <laughs> I think the difference is I like these characters. Yeah, they're they're Konosuba very they're very like. Because I, I will say there's cool. one comparison between Konosuba and Gintama that I think is that can be made right off the bat that I think it's hard to deny. It's like you can just tell uh with Konosuba just how much fun the voice actors are having. Like hearing Gintoki's like you'll hear it a lot throughout the show. Gintoki's voice actor just like go through his whole range of like his mm-hmm. screaming is just hilarious. Yep. True. That that's probably wraps us up. I mean, you know, like I said, there's there's moments sprinkled throughout that, you know, you you guys can come back to and see. Um 
Yeah. Oh, I said I'd get back to this. My favorite moment that made me laugh out loud the most was the scene with the pop idol when the guy's like, oh, I always promised I would bring her roses. And then, like, at the end, Gintoki's like, here, and he throws it. And I was, like, fully expecting to actually be roses. And no, it was just three. <laughs> Dusty dandelions, and I was like, ah, that show got me. Like, oh my god, how did I fall? I should because the whole time I'm like, it's never gonna be what you think it is. It's never gonna be what you think it is. But I genuinely thought, like, oh, I've seen this plot point before. Gintoki's gonna be the one to give him roses that he's gonna get, and it's gonna be sweet. And it was like, oh my god, this it was so funny. <laughs> Three dusty that, that roses. Was, that was, that was my favorite yeah. moment, probably the first 15 it's episodes. True. Well, it made me laugh the it's most. Strawberry oh. milk. <laughs> <laughs> strawberry milky. You're a strawberry milky. Um, so, yeah, it was a fun show. Um, fun to watch it. That, I think, does just about does it uh, from our end of things. Um, thank you all for tuning in, lovely audience. Um, you know, we sincerely appreciate you all. Um, please know. Hope you had a good... Hope you had a good non-denominational winter holiday break if you're celebrating of any type of kind. Yep. And if not, I just hope you have a... Hopefully you're safe, yeah, too. Stay safe. Have a safe. end of the year. Vaccine coming. Vaccine Vaccine coming. coming. To a hospital near you in 2022, probably. Yeah. I mean, well, please, you know, uh, if you want to support us, continue to listen. Tell your friends. That's literally how we grow. You guys telling your friends. <laughs> um, you know, we have a YouTube channel, Tacotariot. Um, you know, we try to drop videos every two weeks. Uh, please follow us on there. Most has been mostly Bass and I making videos so far, but Silver has some videos on the way, and so will uh, Texas Ranger. They may even have dropped by the time this episode is released. Um, but you know, follow us there, and if you really enjoy what we're up to and what we're making, please do consider, uh, you know, giving us a couple bucks on Patreon, you know, or whatever. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Um, you know, art is labor intensive this is labor intensive to make and to produce and to get out there and we really enjoy it uh but we would also really appreciate if you all could help ensure that we are um self-funded um that we are well collectively funded by you all i should say um so that we can make the kind of uh content that you know you guys like and enjoy um so please uh you know have a wonderful rest of the day uh we love you fam bye bye peace love and prosperity and swag bye bye see y'all